There were times when Jasper potentially had seizures or things inside the womb and I would stiffen up and I could feel him stiffen from side to side. Of course, by that point, I would go to the hospital and then they would say, there's nothing wrong, he's completely fine. I just cried and said, I don't know what else to do. And then I received a telephone call from the hospital saying that the doctor had identified the case as potentially a worry and that I was to come back in and have fetal heart monitoring again that night. So I showed up and um, from that point, I didn't go home again. It was seven months before I ended up back at home. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, motherhood, relationships, kids, and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. So take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talking in Common. I'm Kate. And I'm Sophie. We recently spoke with Sass Lion. Sass is a kick-ass social media and digital marketing guru, and of course, she's a mum of two beautiful children, Darling and Jasper. Today, we want to share Jasper's story. So we spoke with Sass all about her journey mothering a child with such rare and debilitating conditions as Jasper's. Sass was so generous with sharing Jasper's story, and we're so grateful for her doing so. We hope that this episode will bring some awareness to Jasper and his conditions, so let's hear from Sass and learn about it some more together. Here she is. Sass, welcome to Talking in Common. How are you? Well, thank you, Kate. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for joining us. We're really looking forward to chatting with you today. So a question that we love to ask our guests on Talking in Common is, what did you want to be growing up? It is a good question. I don't think I had a sense of what I wanted to be. I had more of a sense of who I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a person that didn't have any roots and that got to travel and (laughs) fly around and live the dream. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? We'd love to know more about your career and your interests. Yeah, sure. So I am nearing 40. It's my 40th in March. You do not look 40. I do all. look 40. You do not look 40. <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, 40 in March and I work in the entertainment space in digital and social media marketing. And I've also got a website, which is an online marketplace called toddcreates.shop, which I run with one of my friends, Todd McKenney. And I've got two children and a fantastic husband and not a lot of time for anything else. (laughs) Busy. That's the sum of me at the moment. So you mentioned you've got two kids, two beautiful children, Darling, who's in grade one, and little Jasper, who is 18 months old now. Is that right? Yeah, 18 months, yeah. So I'm interested to know what your introduction to motherhood was like back when you had Darling. Tell us a little bit about this time in your life. Yeah, so I had an amazing introduction into motherhood My first pregnancy, apart from having some really low-grade gestational diabetes Mm -hmm. and the fact that we were living on a farm, we sort of did a really early tree change from the city and bought a farm out near Orange. So we were living on a farm and I was commuting to and from the farm back to Sydney for work and that was really, really hard to juggle. But my actual pregnancy and my birth with Darling was an emergency cesarean, but it wasn't that stressful. I mean, I think by the time I had the emergency cesarean, I was well and truly ready to have her. Okay. So I um, was just glad that she was there and glad that she was out. I didn't feel frightened at that point. And I mean, she slept 
eight hours through from about three months. Oh, my God. So good. And she has been a dream ever since. She's just a champion. She lives up to her name, little darling. She's she's very good. (laughs) So you said that the introduction was really good and that you were ready at that time. Had you and your partner talked about having kids and had you made a plan? Was it all planned out or was it unexpected? It was all planned out. Yeah. We'd been trying for darling for two years. Yeah. So by the time we got pregnant with her, we were just absolutely beside ourselves. I was really ignorant to what it was going to do to my career at that point. So I was just rose-coloured glasses about the entire thing. I'd worked really hard to get to a point in my career where I was doing well and really committed to it. So I had no idea what bomb was going to go off in that regard. But Mm -hmm. in terms of having her, yeah, we were really wanted her. We tried really hard to get pregnant with her. And when we got pregnant with her, we were just beside ourselves. And it was a natural conception? Natural conception, yeah. Yeah. We were sort of at the point where we were thinking of doing IVF. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we started thinking about doing IVF and it sort of took the pressure off naturally conceiving, we seemed to, I know people say that all the time, once you stop stressing, Mm. you get pregnant. And I know it doesn't always happen, but it happened with us. So it was great. Mm. It's a funny period in time, especially when you're trying for your first child. You know, two years seems like a long time to be trying, but, you know, it's just sort of in our nature now to sort of think like, okay, what can I do next if it doesn't just happen? Always thinking ahead. Yeah, 100%. Can you tell us about your pregnancy with your second child, Jasper? How was it different to your pregnancy with Darling? So we decided we were going to have another baby and we were pregnant within a month. We had just moved back to Port Macquarie. We had been working on a project out at Broken Hill in the middle of nowhere, working on a resort out there. So we had come back to Port Macquarie and we were decided that against my better nature, we were going to settle down and have Jasper. And so we decided that we'd move back to Port Macquarie, which is where all our families sort of migrated to and ended up. So I became pregnant with Jasper. From the outset, I started to get really big really quickly. So we went and obviously I tested for gestational diabetes and I tested positive for gestational diabetes. At that point, I didn't realize that I didn't have gestational diabetes and it would become a marker of one of the syndromes that Jasper eventually had. So I should say I was misdiagnosed with gestational diabetes. And then Mm. because of that, we then had weekly visits to the gestational diabetes clinic, which also meant a lot more scans and also meant a lot more visits with the clinic, which in the end didn't do anything for us, to be honest. So we, from the misdiagnosis of gestational diabetes, I had polyhydramnios as well, which is excess fluid. um, And that was attributed incorrectly to the gestational diabetes. It was also a marker of one of Jasper's syndromes. And he was, had the markers of his syndromes in his scans, but they were again diagnosed as him having macrosomia from gestational diabetes. So we sort of Whilst that process is amazing and you get the extra scans, for us with his conditions, it was um, part of the reason why he wasn't diagnosed in utero. It's frightening when you're with experts who are meant to know so much about, you know, these things and that they missed all of the signs that you were Mm. showing in your scans. I think that the most important part to realise about it is the fact that we had spoken to them continually about the fact that we were concerned about the scans we could see that there were issues with the scans and they just kept saying look that's not what we're looking at we're looking at the markers of the gestational diabetes which is the extra fat around jasper's gut Mm -hmm. um so he had i think it was 16 or 17 weeks he had a ratio of off the charts for the size of his head 
his limbs were 25% and his torso was 70% or something. So what happens is then is that the average of those three measurements are put together and given one average. And mm-hmm. because his limbs were so short and because his head was so big, the average of those three measurements came to somewhere in the middle, which meant he sat on the middle of the scale. So it was sort of just right. missed. It's important to say that the initial two weeks leading up to his birth and the 48 hours preceding his birth were much more catastrophic than the scans that were missed. So I think that in the course of us managing who he is and who who he is since he's been born and the complications that come with Jasper, um, those scans have just faded into the background. Mm. And we've had experts look over the scans and some say that they can see things and some say that they can't. So, I mean, we're in a regional hospital, so I think we can forgive, you know, Mm. the sonographer at a small place not seeing those complexities, but certainly cumulatively his care preceding his birth. And did you feel different, Sass, because you mentioned that you had the gestational diabetes with your pregnancy with Darling. Yeah. And I imagine that, you know, you would have had a bit of a feeling in your gut that was different this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there are a lot of things that were different now that we know – Um, how Jasper is outside of the womb. There were times when Jasper potentially had seizures or things inside the womb and I would stiffen up and I could feel him stiffen from side to side and would say to Matt, I just need to turn all the lights off in the room, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But, of course, by that point I would go to the hospital and then they would say there's nothing wrong, he's completely fine. (sighs) So I look back on moments in the pregnancy. Makes sense. Yeah, Mm. and his behaviour makes sense Mm. and I can contextualise looking at him outside of the womb, what he was doing in those moments inside the womb. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it was a terrible pregnancy. I mean, I I was still happy and upbeat and just delighted that I was having a baby and, we just ran with it when they said there was nothing wrong and we're like, okay, well, if there's nothing wrong, he's just going to be a big fat baby and that's, yeah. you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, You have to trust the medical system and the professionals, don't yeah, you? Yeah, we were seeing them every week. Can you tell us a little bit more about Jasper's conditions? Yeah, so Jasper was born with two de novo conditions, they're called, which means they're not recessive. They're not inherited from Matt nor I. There's spontaneous mutations in his genes. So he has one condition called Costello syndrome. There are about 800 kids worldwide with Costello syndrome at the moment, and more and more are being tested and being identified now with the whole exome sequence testing, the WES testing that's now available, okay. which is a test that sequences the entire map of of DNA in order to find um, faults on the genes that have been previously identified and ones that haven't been. So Costello syndrome is a a life-limiting full system syndrome. So it affects every cell in Jasper's body and each of the Costello children have different impacts on a varied scale, sort of like autism or Down syndrome. There's a spectrum of difficulties associated with Costello syndrome. Mm -hmm. Some kids are born with Costello and lead healthy lives and and Jasper's probably on the other end of that spectrum where his manifestation of the syndrome has been quite profound. Mm. He has a secondary syndrome which is completely not associated with his first syndrome. So he won the genetic lottery twice. Um, It's de novo as well, non-recessive, non-inherited, and it is called SCN1A. It's a fault on the gene that causes epilepsy. Again, there's a spectrum of children on that gene and and Jasper sits towards the more profound side of um, being impacted on that as well. I can't believe they're completely unrelated. That's really hard to to comprehend. Yeah, it's wild. Mm. Absolutely wild. Yeah. So 
from what I understand, Sass, the birth of Jasper was quite traumatic for you. And if you're willing, can you share a bit of this experience and what the process of finding out Jasper's diagnosis was once he was born as well? Yeah, of course. So we were based in Port Macquarie at that time, as I mentioned, and we had been or I'd been attending the gestational diabetes clinic at Port Macquarie based hospital during his pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So as we had said, there'd been markers to us of something being wrong with Jasper's pregnancy and him presenting as not the same way as uh, Darling had. Mm -hmm. Um, So during my last few visits to the hospital, I'd raised concerns about the fact that I didn't believe Jasper was moving. Mm -hmm. Jasper had been in breach position for I think six or seven weeks at that point and they said that as it was a cesarean that it wasn't necessary for him to be moved. So they just said that it was something to do with the fact that he was in breach position which was why he wasn't moving and he was big and he was surrounded by a lot of fluid and he was squashed. Mm -hmm. At around that same point we started having non-reassuring active traces on his fetal heart monitoring. So the trace that is put on your stomach when you go in and you start having your contractions, you know, the little machine that goes on there and measures the reactive traces of the baby to make sure that they're still moving and you have a certain amount of reactive traces per, I think, five or 15 minutes that are averaged out to make sure that the baby's moving as much as they should and they're still, you know, well and happy in the womb. Jasper had been having non-reassuring traces over that period as well, but it was attributed to the fact that he was in breech position and he had macrosomia, so he was a big baby. The night before Jasper was born, I had gone to the gestational diabetes clinic and I would said that I was worried and that he wasn't moving and that I needed someone to do something about it. And they had said to me, we know you're uncomfortable with the polyhydramnios, but you baby's not ready to be born. You just need to suck it up and go home. And How many weeks were you at that point, Sass? 38. Okay. Yeah. And the usual things and the correct things around the development of lungs and all of those sort of things that are important in those last few weeks of the pregnancy. Um, and I was scheduled to have a cesarean in my 40th week yeah. anyway. Okay. Um, so I went home and said to Matt, I just cried and said, I don't know what else to do. I really have feel like I've exhausted all my avenues with saying that I feel like something's wrong. He said, you know, we just do the best we can and, and wait. And then I received a telephone call from... The hospital saying that in their MDT, which is their, you know, management roundup meeting at the end of the day, that the doctor had identified cases potentially a worry and that I was to come back in and have fetal heart monitoring again mm-hmm. that night. So I showed up thinking that they were just going to send me home again. I showed up in a T-shirt that said something about, I don't even know what the front of it said, some some funny saying on the front, <laughs> a pair of t- like drop crotch tracksuit pants. <laughs> a pair of thongs and a book. (laughs) And um, from that point, I didn't go home again. I think it was seven months before I ended up back at home. So we, I went in that night, we had non-reassuring traces all night. The doctors kept saying that it was something to do with his being in breach. The doctors wouldn't schedule a cesarean until the next morning, this amazing midwife came in and said, I'm concerned that there's no plan are you worried that your baby's going to die? I said, I'm worried that my baby's going to die. So she went out to the doctors and said that I'm concerned that there's no plan. This mother is concerned that her child's going to die. I need to see what the plan is. And then I was in having Jasper within, I think, it still was another three or four hours after that. I was scheduled for the first cesarean of the day. So I went in and had him. We Matt and I went in there, the usual cesarean with the screen. They had the big lcd tv over the top of us showing the birth Mm -hmm. jasper was born not breathing and he didn't breathe 
spontaneously for 15 minutes after God he was born. Ass. That's such a long time. Yeah, scary. A really long time, um, yeah. And then he's, because he was in breech position for that time and one of his syndromes has hip and joint issues, so the fact that his legs had been left up over his head now means that he has really profound hip issues. And so he was born with both of his legs stuck back over the top of his head and then I think they were so frightened to touch him after he was born that he they didn't settle one of his legs down. So they didn't wrap Jasper, they just settled one of his legs down. So it was sort of the knee joint was flexed backwards and his feet were flexed the wrong way. And so he just arrived. When we finally got to John Hunter, he arrived like that. So he was just a hot mess. How aware were you of what was going on? At that time, well, in the operating room, I just kept asking the poor anaesthetist, and I'll never forget the look on that poor man's face. I just kept asking him if Jasper was alive. Yeah. And he was saying, I don't know, I don't know, because all I could see was that them working on him on the television and see Matt's face, which obviously Matt was beside himself. Mm. And then from there... Things kicked off fairly quickly. I was wheeled to another part of the hospital where I was left, I think, for three hours maybe without anyone coming to me. How can they do it? I just don't understand how they can do that, how they would do that. That would have felt like a lifetime. You would have been so worried sick and them to just leave you there? What was the... Yeah, I think that we... As we go through the motions of understanding just how complex Jasper is, we become more forgiving of these experiences. Okay. It was poor care. Yeah. It was terrible, terrible care. But they were probably quite out of their depth as well. Yeah, they were, exactly. They had a locum in the hospital. Um, It was a locum obstetrician who was in the hospital doing the surgery. They, They had a locum, I think, peed person on mm-hmm. a pediatrician there was it was a big day for these people yeah, and yeah. Jasper's was such a complex profoundly disabled mm. baby mm. that was born in such a terrible state and the fact that they were not prepared for him to be born in that state because everything had been missed in utero mm. so I think from that perspective I understand it doesn't take away the trauma of that time thinking no. I, I thought Jasper was dead yeah for that entire period oh, um so, yeah, it's and, and Matt was taken to a place upstairs and our family was taken somewhere else. So I didn't see anyone and I think I just ended up was screaming in the end, asking for someone to come and talk to me about what was happening. Mm. And then the amazing midwife from that morning mm. poked her head around. I still remember her face telling me that Matt was on his way down. Oh. They, Matt wasn't on his way down. They were just trying to calm me down. But So where, where was Matt? What was Matt doing at this Matt point? Was, Matt had been taken to an office upstairs in in a waiting room by himself in one of the areas and our family was sort of put in another place and then I was in recovery and I guess they were all working on Jasper and this when a baby like this is born not that you know unless you have a baby like this born but there's a really big chain of events that are kicked off from a hospital and the logistics point of view that begin when a baby like this is born so the first thing they do is they call hospitals like the John Hunter Mm -hmm. and you know specialist hospitals and they have emergency pediatric intensive care meetings over Zoom where they show the baby and they talk about the baby's birth right. and then they decide which hospital that they're going to go to and then they decide which mode of transport they're going to be if they're safe enough to go in helicopter or like Jasper did or whether they they need to go by road transport or it needs to be a plane depending on what transport's available at that time. Mm. And, I mean, we've only got – there are eight beds but there are six funded beds, pediatric intensive care beds. So from Gold Coast to Bathurst mm-hmm. to – Sydney, there's only six intensive pediatric intensive care beds available. Right. So on any given day, it all depends on 
what beds are available as to which hospital you're going to go to. Mm -hmm. When he was born, I remember when when I finally got to go up, I don't think I, I didn't hold him until we got to the hospital in Newcastle that night. Mm. But um, when I remember the lovely paediatric registrar, so the the junior doctor in there, she just came up and said, I just want you to know that no matter what happens, none of this was your fault. Mm. You know, it's genetic. None of this is your fault. Mm. I thought, okay, that's good. Mm. We still don't know what's going on. Anyway, at this point, Jasper was airlifted out to John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle Mm -hmm. to the paediatric intensive care unit. He was airlifted and I was taken by road. So he went in a humidity crib in the helicopter and I was taken by ambulance. And when I arrived by ambulance, I went into the paediatric intensive care unit. I actually got taken to the ward, sorry, and then I just had the cesarean, obviously, and the the ward and the paediatric intensive care part of the hospital are in two sort of opposite ends of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I walked up to him and sat down and then the nurse said, have you touched him yet? And I said, no. And she said, well, here's your baby. And she handed him to me. And that was the first time I got to hold him. And I fell asleep on the chair in there and held him. And how did you feel when you held him for the first time? Relieved that he was alive. Yeah. And also to start the maternal bonding, Mm. you know, that is not allowed to happen when you that all of those hormones that you get when you give birth, mm. um, they're all floating around in there. But if you don't get to hold your baby, it's a profound impact on your sense of self, I guess, not being able to touch them mm-hmm. and, and know that they're okay. Mm, absolutely. Um, then we had a geneticist come in who was on duty and say that he believed that Jasper had a chondroplasia or hypochondroplasia, so dwarfism. At that point, my husband and I were beside ourselves at that, that he would have that diagnosis. Mm. We now know how incredibly ignorant we were to think that having a diagnosis of a chondroplasia or hypochondroplasia should be something to feel anything other than blessed that your child has been born healthy and Mm. safe. We obviously forgive ourselves because of the initial shock and the fact that we were ignorant, but Mm. now, you know, we look back on it and we think that if those first couple of days, if we knew then what we know now, Mm. that having Jasper have a diagnosis of a chondroplasia or hypochondroplasia would be the most amazing outcome Mm. in the world for him. Mm. Um, So I guess it's all contextualised by what you go through afterwards. Yeah, most definitely. Then there was genetic testing we ended up having an incredible geneticist Mm -hmm. this geneticist called professor matt edwards we believe was entirely instrumental apart from the intensivist in in saving jasper's life and is one of the primary reasons why he is here so professor edwards has another patient called lucy and lucy's in coffs harbour and lucy's in her 40s i believe and she has Costello syndrome as well. And Professor Edwards had taken care of Lucy oh, um, and okay. was Lucy's doctor. So he had some understanding of this syndrome and could see some of the markers in Jasper of the syndrome. So there's genetic markers in hands, feet, head, the shape of face, placement of ears that are associated with Costello syndrome. So we were very lucky to get Dr. Edwards as part of our team. Mm. And I think then basically it was just uh, they just plugged holes in Jasper for for the next seven months so if he couldn't breathe they put in a tracheostomy so he could breathe through his um, neck instead of through his mouth he couldn't feed so they plugged him with a feeding tube which is a mickey button which sits in his stomach and he's fed by tube he can't sit up so they fit him with a brace his hips are out of they just everything about him just gets it was like 
toothbrushes holding back the dam. Yeah, right. Is what it felt like. Yeah, I suppose because of how rare some of his conditions are, he has become a bit of a guinea pig. Would that be right? Yeah, there's a Matt and I talk about that. All we did back in the beginning mm. about the fact that there's a there's a certain type of rare in the disabled baby area where how rare they are becomes an, a point of interest Mm -hmm. and so therefore they receive more interest and advocacy from say Mm. specialists that 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 they may not receive otherwise Mm. I mean I should contextualize that by saying that the care that we received at John Hunter was and has been exceptional we've moved to Newcastle to be near that hospital specifically because of the care Jasper has received since we've been there Mm -hmm. so they have all done an amazing job all of the specialists and intensivists in there have saved Jasper's life a hundred times over Mm. as have the nurses but there is definitely an element to the fact that he is Mm. such a rare child that he does receive Mm. the support and assistance that he does at times 100 percent yeah how are you and your husband, Matt, dealing with this within your relationship at the time? My husband's amazing. Mm. He's just a champion. <laughs> we, he was a champion before this and he's been a champion I have met afterwards. him. He is a legend. He's <laughs> such a great guy, Matt. So is Mac. Yeah. <laughs> My husband. Lucky with our husbands. Yeah. We, a lot of people have said to us as a couple, you know, you won't survive mm. having Jasper. A, a lot of people have said to me. Don't you love those positive people? They're just so beneficial to say stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. The, I love it when they say you're so lucky he stayed. Oh. I love that too. That Matt stayed. Yeah. Yeah, so lucky he, that stayed, he stayed. with you. Oh, um, yeah, of course. So yeah. lucky. So, stayed so, with so us. lucky. <laughs> so lucky. I mean, I am lucky, but I'm lucky for not the reasons why people ask that question. I'm yeah. lucky that he stayed because I love him. Lucky that you found him. Yeah, life without him would be. <laughs> terrible but I'm not lucky that he stayed with his family because this is his family yeah so to say anything other is is not in my I don't see it as a slight against me I see it as a slight against Matt yeah I agree with that so our relationship I mean we just have been as we were yeah there have been times where we've drifted apart there have been times where we've been closer together but they're the natural rhythms of all relationships so we don't we try not to catastrophize our you know natural rhythm Mm. to do with Jasper because we decided very early on that parenting Jasper is parenting Jasper Mm. it's not more it's not less it's just different yeah so we actively chose to have Jasper, so we parent him as the parents that he needs, which is, I guess, what we all try to do for our children. Totally. So what about Darling? How has Darling coped with all of this? Has it affected her in any way? Absolutely, yeah. So before Jasper was born, we were a tight little unit. Darling still sleeps with us and she's six. <laughs> um, Lucky she little still girl. sleeps in the middle of us. So we're, we're a tight little unit and we go everywhere together. I think besides staying at Matt's mum's house or maybe my mum's house once or twice, Darling's never been apart from us for more than the hours of going to school or daycare. Yeah. So when Jasper and I were living in the intensive care unit, we were there for seven and a half months, I think, between the paediatric intensive care unit and the neonatal intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. For those seven months, Matt and Darling were commuting between Port Macquarie and the hospital. So I think the largest impact on her was the destabilisation of her family. Mm. How old was Darling when Jasper was born? Jasper was born in Darling's first term of kindy, so she was, yeah, she was little. And it it had a profound impact on her school life as well. Mm -hmm. So we had started Darling at school in Port Macquarie and 
at this point, Matt was still working in Port Macquarie and I was working from the hospital and living in there with Jasper. And every few days I would have to call Matt and say, look, they've said that Jasper might not make it through the day. You need to come back. So then he'd have to get in the car and come back to Newcastle and go through all of the horror that was Jasper at that point what was happening to Jasper and then he'd have to get back in the car and go back to Port Macquarie and Darling would stay with Matt's mum or, mm. you know, it was a it was a really tumultuous time. Mm. There's also within the hospital, there's an entirely different world within the hospital. So we ended up putting Darling into school. When we moved Matt and Darling into Ronald McDonald House at Newcastle, we ended up putting Darling into school in the hospital. They've got a hospital school. So she went in there with other siblings of kids who were sick okay. or um, kids who were sick and were in, and were in the hospital. So that was great for her. Mm. About three or four months in, Darling started showing some signs that it was having an impact on her mental health. Okay. From an anxiety point of view, she had never exhibited anxiety before anxious behaviours. Yeah. And she started to get what you would usually call it FOMO <laughs> when she's happy, but she was started to get a real fear of and separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. So the hospital provided for us an amazing service, which was a child play therapist called Michelle. And Michelle worked with Darling on a one-on-one basis in, they call them child play therapy sessions, but they're really, I guess, psychological testing sessions to make sure that Darling was coping and to give her her own space within the hospital environment where she could be herself mm. and just be a kid. Mm-hmm. Yep. So again, I think we were really lucky that we had the support that we had so Mm. how do you deal with all of the emotions and worries and uncertainty that must come with caring and mothering jasper you're you're just you're so brave sass listening to you talk it's Mm. really inspiring and Mm. i don't feel inspiring i feel flat out all the time (laughs) (laughs) so i don't think that that's that's lovely but i don't think that that's the case well you're extremely matter of fact and you know you're just showing that your resilience and this is just your life but you know for us to hear this story it's just it's really hard to comprehend that that's your day-to-day life you you truly are so strong it's a lot because there's a couple of things I mean I'm in awe I was inspired by the young mums Mm -hmm. so the mums who had babies especially premies in NICU who were tiny I mean we had a baby Jasper was born at nearly five kilos and there was a 450 gram baby on the bed next to him tiny I know. So it was like Beauty and the Beast, you know, she's this tiny, petite, little amazing thing that was just battling. She actually was doing better than Jasper. So babies are absolutely incredibly resilient Mm. creatures. Mm. Uh, So I I tip my hat to the young mums because the young mums in there are the ones that are really having a baptism of fire. I Mm. mean, I was, what was I, 38 when I had Jasper. So I have been through, you know. Life experiences. Yeah. 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 I've, I've lived my life. And we're really privileged in the fact that we uh, were able to continue working mm-hmm. so that those pressures that I usually, I mean, it's, it's, it has a profound impact on your ability to earn money when you're in there because, mm. you know, it would be if I didn't have a business like I have, I would have had to stop working. And so our entire life would have been existing, one person in Newcastle, Matt, needing to keep working in Port Macquarie and it just would have been so much harder. Mm. We were privileged in the fact that we both were able to grab onto the healthcare system and just do everything we needed to do to push and promote Jasper to get exactly what he needed out of the healthcare system. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's taken a lot of load off as well. All of these supports that sit un- up underneath you are the parts of it that make it livable and make you able to do it. How did you find that whole process? 
exactly the same as I was taught by my bosses to do things, which is to not take no for an answer. And if you meet an objection that can't be overcome, then ask a different question or ask it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So we needed to be on the National Disability Insurance Scheme to leave hospital with Jasper. He requires oxygen a whole bunch of different things that he needed to leave hospital. And we were told, I think, that initially the wait time was going to be six months, which would have meant that I would have been living in the hospital again for another six months. So I went to a friend who then asked another friend and they did an article in the Herald. And then by the time they'd been asked for comment, the initial plan had been approved. So we were really privileged in the fact that we had access to those things. I must say as well, though, that I would have gotten on NDIS eventually. And since we have been on NDIS, the level of care and service that we've received and the level of plan for Jasper and the support that he received for receives from the government are exceptional. Okay. That's great. Without the support that we received from NDIS and the support that we've received from planners, Jasper would not be alive. So mm-hmm. what does your day entail when caring for Jasper? Um, today's okay because last night we had night nursing. So one of our amazing nurses, we've got funding for night nursing from NDIS but I was like pretty woman with the money and not being able to shop because no (laughs) one would take him because he's too profoundly disabled and and too many multi like too many complex issues going on at once so we couldn't find nursing to take our money and Mm. then one of our amazing nurses at John Hunter one of his core pediatric nurses when the we've hit the skids and we're back in intensive care called Bernie she organized with another bunch of the nurses to start doing a few nights a fortnight for us So now we have the intensive care nurses from John Hunter that come to our house and take care of him, separate from the hospital, but they are amazing, absolutely amazing. So last night we had a nurse, Mm -hmm. which means that I slept all night. So today I'm great. Yeah, I feel fresh. (laughs) Exactly. The night before, Jasper was having seizures all night, so I was up with him from 9 in the morning till 5 o'clock the next day. Wow. So obviously the day after that yesterday I was pretty flat mm. and pretty tired mm. and and needed to sleep luckily Matt's got flexibility with his business mm-hmm. so he's able to come home and give me a couple of hours sleep and then we had the nurse last night so you sort of just keep pushing through and I mean Jasper's sort of he gets his meds twice a day mm-hmm. he has therapies so he has physio occupational therapist speech therapy he has you know eye appointments leg appointments hearing appointments you know tracheostomy appointments button appointments he's got neurological teams pediatricians general peds there's stuff stuff happens all over the place for him so it's a constant Mm. thing but I mean that that's what needs to be done to keep him alive so how on earth do you manage to work (laughs) while you're caring for Jasper which sounds like a full-time job in itself and then of course darling as well yeah so I think I take it all back to specifically two bosses that I had Mm -hmm. in my working life. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked in hotels for a lot of years and I was guilty of being very pushy, I would say at times, and really like going and just climbing and getting what I wanted. And I sort of part of that process was me sort of forcing myself onto one of my bosses to be mentored by him. Mm -hmm. And his name is David Sargent. He was the head of the company for for AHL Amalgamated Holdings Limited. And I'm quite sure he never wanted to be my mentor, but I just chased and chased and chased the the situation because I knew that if I was going to be taught how to overcome my shortcomings by someone, 
in the workplace that that human being was going to be the human being that could teach me that you always say that you go you learn well from people that are like your dad David was sort of the same age as my dad and a similar analytical brain and pragmatic like my father so I sort of hunted a relationship working relationship with David from a mentoring point of view and he was as tough as nails there was just no you either did it or you didn't do it the foundation that that has given me in terms of my work ethic and the saying that there's eight days in a working week and that there's 27 hours in a day you know you just get it done because I've been taught there are no excuses and also because I suffered from people who I had thought were allies of mine in the workplace being so awful when I had darling and I was working from home for whatever Mm. reason they were I suffered from that as well so I'm even more tenacious now with proving my worth and and proving what I do for work Mm. And working in what I do in the digital media space means that I can do it all from home. Yeah, okay. And does it make you feel just a little bit more like you too? Yeah, human, exactly. So if I'm up with Jasper at night, we're doing a 12-hour stretch or I'm in a 24-hour day Mm. awake with him, um, not watching Netflix and sinking into nothing and wasting that time and being able to actively use that time for the betterment of Darling and Jasper and uh, and for my family. Yeah, yeah makes me feel better. I've been productive and I've maintained it's not what I do is not where you can go, okay, I'm going to take a year out and have a baby and or take a couple of years off with Jasper. That's not what I do. The world that I'm in, you can't, you don't get to take a year out. So Sass, during COVID, you were homeschooling Darling and caring for Jasper and you launched a new business with Todd McKenney. Tell us more about this. Yeah, so homeschooling, that was a treat. Not not at all. Um, but I'm not going to go into it because I feel like if Darling ever listens to this one day, I don't want her to, to know what I thought of that. So I'm just going to say I'm that. sure you're not alone in that. I'm sure a lot of parents have said what yeah, you just right. said. Yeah, I don't want to do that again. She's a delightful child and I absolutely love her, but that was a lot. So the course of my career, I have, you know, been guilty early on of defining people by their use to me and getting what I needed and, you know, just hunting opportunities and hunting things that I wanted. It wasn't an active thing. I wasn't aware that I was doing it. But as I've gotten older and and particularly since we've had Jasper and we've understood the difference between defining people by their use to you and their use to society instead of accepting who they are and, and, and loving them for who they are. And I have started to, as I've gotten older, to see that I need to give back in ways that are meaningful and to work only with people that I like Mm. and work only with people who have a similar moral structure to me. Mm -hmm. It's a good attitude to have, I think. Yeah, and I feel feel lucky that I can be that person. I can't work with negative people and I can't work with or for, I should say, people who don't give me the breadth of understanding my particular situation needs. An example of that is when we were in hospital, I was introduced by Professor Matt Edwards, who I mentioned before, to a lady called Tracy Dudding Blythe. She's a clinical geneticist Mm -hmm. and she has made a platform called FaceMatch. And FaceMatch is a clinical diagnostic tool. And basically what it does is is Tracy met this amazing man from a university in Brisbane at a genetic conference or a technology conference, I can't remember which. She spoke with him about this idea that she had to – be able to help children with rare syndromes and syndromes that have marker as intellectual disability, children like Jasper. 
And he said, well, I have this software that I've been developing for the government, which is a criminal face matching software to be used at airports to be able to face match features of people that are on the criminal yep. database. Mm-hmm. And so he gave that technology to Tracy and they've built this amazing website where people can now load in pictures of their children and they are then matched against other children who are loaded into the database. So yeah. They've built this amazing piece of software. I was introduced to Tracy. And so for the last, I don't know, seven or eight months, I've been working on face match as well. Doing the community and website builds for them has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my career, Mm. which led to one of my clients and friend, Todd McKenney. We were talking about COVID and talking about how both of us were extremely privileged to be able to keep working. And to be in the position where we could earn money. Mm. And I was watching the entertainment industry be decimated and watching people not have any work and thinking about what can they do and what can we do? And we were going around in circles and then we said, you know, well, what about all these amazing costume designers who don't have any work? So I said, let's build a website. We're going to do masks. So we launched Todd Masks and in true my style and Todd styles, Todd said, I'm on the morning show on Friday and this was Monday, so I built the website that week and then... <laughs> no pressure, no Sash. Quick. And then uh, it just exploded. Yeah, <laughs> it's been really fun and we've met some really interesting people. So, yeah, it's been really fun. So, Sass, before we wrap it up today, can you share with us some of the milestones that Jasper has achieved in his 18 months that you didn't think were possible for him? Yeah, absolutely. So... Jasper didn't move until he was seven months old. But when we got out of hospital, he was catatonic. Because he has epilepsy, he's on such a high range of meds. That combined with all of the implications of his Costello syndrome meant that he was not moving at all. And still, like now, he can't sit up or smile or hold his head up or any of those sort of things now at 18 months. But there have been amazing improvements in him that um, do give us hope that he will at some point progress beyond where he is now, which is the ultimate aim. Mm. So he, I can't remember what month it was, but I got in the bath with him and I remember the first time that he kicked his legs Mm. and it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life with Darling. Um there was an expectation that Darling would kick her legs and there was an expectation that she would be toddling and Darling was walking at 10 months. So she, that little thing was just off and racing and I expected that of her. So Mm, my celebration of her milestones was a lot less exciting or huge and yeah yeah, exactly there was a lot less weight in it because I just had an expectation that she was going to do those things because I was ignorant to other kinds of babies Mm. I guess so he yeah he moved at that sort of eight month mark and then he's made very very slow progress so on the scale of what he does sort of Jasper if you imagine what a one month old would be doing Jasper's doing that at four months if you imagine what a two month old would be doing Jasper's doing that at eight months so Mm -hmm. his progress has been the curve of his progress is very, very slow, but it is always trended upwards. Mm-hmm. So Jasper received a few months ago a program called iGaze, which is a piece of computer technology. So it's a monitor that sits on a tripod or on a stand yep. and it maps um, Jasper's retinas to a computer program that's mapped specifically for him. And what he can do is control computer programs and yes, no, and a bunch of different things on the screen. And the main issue with Jasper is the fact that he has such a profound level of epileptic activity that they they really weren't sure how far he would be able to progress intellectually with his epilepsy and also the epilepsy is life-limiting the type of epilepsy that he has Mm -hmm. so they weren't sure 
with the type of heavy medications he's on, plus the Costello syndrome, plus all the epilepsy, plus, 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 where he was going to be able to get to intellectually or whether he would be stuck sort of at that one month level. And then you go into the conversations about palliative care and what life looks like for someone and whether you should continue that life for that person and interventions and all those mm. sort of things start happening. But all that changed when he got the eye gaze and we set the technology up and his amazing speech therapist and occupational therapist set it up. And that little boy just moved that screen with his eyes. Oh, he wow. um, sent the wow. butterflies flying across the screen. We're like, oh, okay. So he moves his head from left to right. Matt and I were still sort of skeptical. Yeah, skeptical. We have a neurologist called Dr. Gopi that's very pragmatic and very hesitant to take any wins with Jasper because he doesn't want us to get our hopes up, which is fair. Mm. He is even convinced now that something's going on in Jasper's brain, which is quite amazing. So there's one game on there. Yeah, it's so good. There's a game where there's a little monkey holding a bunch of balloons and Jasper with his eyes need to pick up a tack on the screen and move the tack and pop a balloon and then then the monkey falls down a little bit and you need to do five balloons from different parts of the screen and different tacks Mm -hmm. to be able to get the monkey to fall down and so Jasper can do that and is able to do that so he has cognitive function amazing and yeah chills hearing that story yeah incredible it must have been Um, so amazing for you to witness that for the first time you know have a little bit of insight into into his brain and well, I think the thing is too is that we, yeah, like it's almost like locked-in syndrome. He doesn't smile. He can't speak. The main communications he has is when he raises his little eyebrows up or moves his little hands. Aww. Like he's sort of, he's stuck. So for us, if he remains stuck physically, but, you know, what is the quality of life for him mm. if he remains stuck physically? And our privilege that we have access to that technology is now that we can see that if Jasper is stuck physically, if he cannot walk, if he cannot move his head, again, our ignorance of understanding what a quality of life is and who defines that and what is defined as a good quality of life is obviously defined of and by the individual. That piece of technology will grow with Jasper. So if Jasper manages to stay alive through these first sort of years of the epilepsy and he manages to get strong enough to be able to live to be a teenager or a young adult he can control his world with that he can order food with it with his eyes he can speak to people he can surf the internet he can open and close smart doors he can you know talk with google play he can control the television remote the lights so his life as we understood it in our ignorance of not understanding the disabled space and the and the way that the world has changed for people with disabilities, mm. that one device allowed us to see that if he can stay alive, that he does have the ability to be able to have some control. Mm. And that's what is most important for him to have some control over his environment and be in charge of his own space and his own world, whatever that world may be. So yeah, incredible. Yeah, that that's is amazing. absolutely amazing. Yeah. And you're right, you know, he deserves to have that just like the rest of us so what an incredible piece of technology wow we are so lucky you know to live in a in a time and in a country that we have so much access to you know healthcare and technology and it it is amazing and that's all fully funded by the ndis too so right okay insurance cream fully funds that piece of technology for us Mm -hmm. and i think it sits at around thirty thousand dollars so it's a really expensive piece of technology Mm. The fact that Jasper is profoundly disabled mm. means that the level of care we receive is higher than what someone may receive if they were on a lower level of NDIS plan. But we, from our perspective, it's incredible. Mm. It's really, without that access, we wouldn't know it was there. Yeah. Oh. 
Well, Sass, you are such an amazing mum, such a strong, resilient woman, and we just thank you for being so open and sharing your story and Jasper's story with us Mm. today. We really appreciate Mm. it. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. I'm lucky to have the support I've got. Without that support, it would, again, be a very different story. Mm. And, I mean, if it had been me 10 years ago, I don't think I would have had the same outcome. That was such an eye-opener catching up with Sass. What an incredibly strong woman she is. You can head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes and to learn more about Jasper. Make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common. And as always, thanks for listening.